have your Bibles, look in um, Acts chapter 8 tonight. Um, years and years ago, uh, I fell in love with reading a long time before I fell in love with Jesus. And um, when I came to the faith, I discovered how many wonderful things have been written by people who love Jesus. And uh, one of the first things that um, captured my mind was we had a library at Clement Baptist Church. And I just says, well, I'll just read everything in here. And some of it was great and some of it was okay. And frankly, some of it was garbage. And, and, uh, and then I went off to Southeastern and, and uh, I, I, I likely, it's likely I could have failed out of school by, you know, they could have written on my thing, spent too much time in the library. I didn't even want to go to class. I just wanted to read books. And then some friend introduced me to something on the internet called the, the uh, Christian Class Classics Ethereal Library. And it has so much cool stuff written by dead guys in it. It was in that CCEL that I discovered a book. Get this title. This is really the name of it. Publishers wouldn't let a guy get away with this today. The name of the book was... Um, Devotions Upon Emergent Occasions. How do you like that for a book title? Devotions Upon Emergent Occasions. That's a fancy way of saying devotions in emergencies. Some years after that, I was referencing that, and a friend says, did you know some guy, some snarky guy, wrote a book of poetry in the 50s called uh, Meditations on a Crisis? And I thought it was going to be some, you know, very cool Christian thing. Turns out it was just the opposite. It was written by Frank O'Hara, and I'm not even recommending it to poetry lovers. But um, I read that, and uh, as this crisis has hit us, I said, man, I've got two great titles to work with, Meditations in a Crisis or Devotions Upon Emergent Occasions. Anybody want to guess which one I went with? Devotions upon emergent occasions. Actually, ser sermons in a crisis. It's a compromise. And I don't know if you've picked up on what I've been teaching on the last few weeks, but that's exactly what I've been teaching on. Sermons in a crisis. What, what, does, what does an under-shepherd say to the flock when we, are, when we are gripped in a crisis situation? When we're gripped in something we have never seen in our lifetime before. Now, it, it's not new to mankind. It's just new to us. I, I, the irony isn't lost on me that the week that COVID-19 began to cause shutdown in our community, I had the privilege of preaching a funeral for a 103-year-old saint. They were born in 1916. They were around for the Spanish flu. They didn't remember. They were just a little kid. But they had bridged the gap from one great pandemic to the next. And um, they went to glory and peace. Amen. So tonight, tonight, this is just, just another sermon in my series, Sermons in a Crisis. And, and if it feels like, if it feels like by the time I'm done, like, it feels like, Tim, you've already told us that. Good. Good. Came upon a man one time playing a one-string guitar. And, uh, you know, you can find more than one note on one string. But he had one string, and he was only playing one note. And I says, don't you know another note? He says, if you find the right one, son, pluck it. If by the time I'm done, you say, I've heard this song, 
I'm going to keep singing it until I hear you singing along. Amen? Acts chapter number 8. Tonight I'm going to do something different. I want to walk through the verses. And I'm not going to share the whole passage. Don't worry. I want to walk through the passage and I want to share one thought at a time. Four thoughts from this passage. Acts chapter number 8. I want to start right in the middle of verse 1. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made a great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Thought number one. Thought number one in this sermon in a crisis. We are not facing the only situation that has scattered the church. Let me say that again. We are not facing the only situation that has scattered the church. Okay. Why do I make such an obvious point? We're always tempted to go, think we're going through something that no one understands and that God doesn't understand. And when you, when you fall for that temptation... What happens is your heart begins to sink because you think, no one gets me. No one gets this. Here in Acts chapter 8, they're being scattered for a simple reason. They're being scattered for persecution. You get that? They're being scattered for persecution. Are we being scattered for persecution? No. They are being scattered for persecution. I think it's important to just settle our hearts down and say, wait a minute. Wait a minute, the church has seen things like this before. This isn't all that new. Let me also remind you of this historical fact. The church was hounded by the government. Hounded by the government. Hounded for his first 300 years of life. Hounded. Wasn't just hounded by the conquering government of Rome, it was hounded by the temple government for different reasons, no less hounded. House church was the norm. Hiding, working out the faith in, in, in fear and rejection and dejection, working out the faith in closed quarters was the norm. Now, why is that important for us to recognize? It's important that we recognize this so that we can say, wait a minute, we may be in uncharted territory for ourselves, but we're not in uncharted territory for the church, and we're not in uncharted territory for God. I remember the last horse I rode. It was the week I turned 40. I was over at my mom's house. Somebody brought this horse by. Actually, I think they brought it by for my brother to break. And, you know, I was 40. I still felt young, you know, because we can be easily deceived. The Bible says you're easily deceived. I was easily deceived. And I jumped up on this horse, and he started bucking and carrying on. And, and uh, I took him out into a plowed garden spot. And I said, I'll, I'll just wear his behind out. So I took him out in this plowed spot. And he jumped and bucked and carried on, and he calmed down. And I says, okay, this, he's ready to go. So 
So I skedaddled him around the yard a couple times showing off, and I come to a slide and halt right in the middle of the driveway. That dude bucked, threw me up into an elm tree. I come back down through the elm tree, and the first thing to hit was flat on my back in the driveway. Another guy went to jump on him. He says, Tim, what did you learn? I said, I learned this. Don't do that. Don't get on that horse. What we need to do right now in our lives is we need to look into the scriptures, look into the history, and look to the throne room of God. How do we handle this? How do we handle this? And what will the way we handle this say about us? I want you to put yourself in these guys' shoes. The church already met in their home. The church met in open places where it could. But it was already meeting in the home. But now it's all of a sudden criminal to be a Christian. And they're being dragged out of their home. People are coming to individual homes. I was thinking about this passage and I started thinking about that's how sickness works. It comes and invades every home. It just comes to get you. And you can, you can sort of get to feeling like we're not under persecutions, but I feel like I'm under persecution. I feel like somebody's after me. I feel like something's after me. What do you do? You live, you breathe, and you worship God because you're not in control. God's in control. You don't run, duck, and hide. You don't quit living. You don't give up. And you don't get off mission. We are not facing the only situation that's ever scattered the church. God is not caught off guard. He's still in control. Calm down and look to him. Amen? Secondly, look down at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. My goodness, somebody say amen. That's what I'm talking about, Ezra. <laughs> Let's see if I can set the context. All right, I'm going to pick on Shannon. He's looking at me over there. Shannon? Shannon lives on Burlington Road. What, two miles from where you was raised? A mile and a half? mile and a half from the home place, right? Your dad's right there at his home place, right? A lot of generations right there in that neighborhood, wouldn't you say? All right, could you imagine Shannon showing up in Tijuana, Mexico tomorrow? And somebody goes, where are you from? You say, uh, Burlington Road. Uh, but I'm not there. Where's Burlington Road? <clears throat> Bushyport, North Carolina, but I'm not there. Well, where is that? It's the mid-Atlantic of the U.S., but I'm not there. Why aren't you there? Well, here's the reason. The reason I'm not there is because the church is being persecuted. So what are you going to do here? Oh, I'm going to proclaim the word. You see that? You see that? This situation, the guy isn't just off his street. He's not just out of his house, off his street out of his town, out of his nation. He's all of the above. He's off his vocation. He is off his comfort level. He is off every one of his norm. And here's the simple report. They proclaim the word. We're off our norm and how are we responding. Every individual, and just answer this for yourself. How are we responding off our norm? Some of us are caught up in petty complaining. Petty self-pities. Don't raise your hand. Don't, but some of us are. We're just caught up, you know, I don't have enough TP. Uh, I can't do this, I can't do that, I can't get together with my friends. You know, and, and all of that stuff is actually accurate. And I'm not telling you, I'm not telling anybody here not to complain. I'm saying to put your complaint in perspective and also stay on mission. 
Put your complaint in perspective and also stay on mission. Can any of you say that no matter what this has done to you, you've been steady proclaiming the word? What do you do when life's interrupted? Stay on mission. Stay on mission. Stay on mission. I'll tell you, I got a personal testimony. My life is really interrupted, and Kim Bowes is cooking so much and so well that I'm actually gaining weight. I need to come out of this thing just to start back losing weight. Apparently, Kara's cooking is better than fast food, man. It's great. This, this situation therein is nothing new. And here's what we're supposed to be doing. Believers are called to faithful gospeling, no matter what. Yes, I made that word up, gospeling. It almost sounds like gossiping. That's almost what the word is. What are you doing? So, Shannon, you're kicked off. You're kicked off Burlington Road. You're kicked out of Bushy Fork. You're kicked out of North Carolina. You've left your vocation. You've left your comfort level. What are you doing? Oh, I'm going to preach your word. That's what I'm going to do. We're called to faithful gospeling no matter what. No matter what. Keep the mission out in front of you and stay faithful. Stay faithful. If somebody, if somebody, you know, if somebody wants to encourage me, then tomorrow, text me, call me, email me, message me, say, hey, Tim, stay the course. Stay the course. Don't let up. What uncomfortable thing are you facing today? Okay? I'm going to pray for you in that. Now stay the course. That's what I want to hear. I think that's what God would tell his church right now. Stay the course. Stay the course. Thirdly, thirdly, look at verses 5 through 8. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was, was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs he did. Now listen to this, church. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Thirdly, God's intention in the gospel is much joy. God's intention in the gospel is much joy. If you are a gospeler, if you are a gospeler, he wants you to have much joy. If you are a gospel hearer, he wants you to have much joy. That's his intention. Now, let's just look at something in context here. God, in the early days of the church, was empowering the early church to do miracles. Some of y'all were saying, man, if God would let me go out and cast out some spirits and heal some people, I'd be more confident in the gospel too. What God did is he did some work that made the gospel message powerful in those people's witness. So that when they heard it, they said, wow, man, power is with these people. Now, what are they saying? I think what God wants to do in, in the church in this culture right here today is he wants people to say, wow, there's some peace in those people. Now, what are they saying? There's some power in those people. Now, what are they saying? There's some peace in this people. Now, what are they saying? This group of people is absolutely not complaining about everything. They're not fretted about everything. They're not up in arms about everything. They seem to have a peace that we don't have. Now, what is this message they have? I think the backdrop to our work is that we're not unsettled by all this. Even if it comes and gets me, I'm not unsettled. God's goal for our life is to say, is for us to know and to say to our spirits, you're okay. Because though, even if I slay you, though if I slay you, yet you'll have reason to trust in me. Philip's over here and he's, he's 
He's homeless, jobless, nationless. He is, he is scattered away from all of his comfort zones. He's preaching the gospel. God has given him power. That power sets up the message. And people say, wow, what God is this that has done this work in and through this man? I believe what he wants us to do is to have that peace. And that peace be our message. Now, somebody in here might one day get the gift of miraculous healing and be able to use it. And when you do, it won't be a sham. We'll all know it, and we'll send you to all our relatives. And then we'll hang on every word. But right now, what stands out to me is the people who, the people who are at peace, and more so, the people who are at peace and are also joyful, and more so, the people who are at peace and are also joyful and have a reference for that. They say, hey, God's good. God's good. I'm okay. I'm going to be okay. I'm okay not because everything's okay. I'm okay because God's good. Amen. God's intention with the gospel, my friends, is much joy. He wants you to have it, and he wants you to share it. He wants you to have it, and he wants you to share it. Now, there comes this interruption in the passage that we won't handle tonight. And what happens is there's this guy, and he's... He's labeled a, a magician, Simon the Magician. He sees what's going on. He sees this power these guys have, but he doesn't understand them or what God is doing. But he says, I believe. And he comes over and he, he says to Peter, he says, hey, Peter, let me give you some money and then you give me that power. And Peter basically just blesses him out. <laughs> He's like, dude, you better back up. You don't know what you're messing with. He says, you're trying to get some bad juju. That's the TBP, the Timbo's paraphrase. You got some bad juju. And Peter straight rebukes Simon the Magician. And you know what Simon the Magician does? He humbles himself. He says, man, man, pray for me. that Don't let that stuff really happen to me. I think you got God dealing with a couple people and you see the positive effects. You got God dealing with somebody, you see the negative effect. But in both cases, you see what happens when somebody humbles himself. Simon's proud, but then he humbles himself. You know why? Because somebody was on the mission, and when somebody stays on mission, people's lives get touched. I'm wondering whose life is going to be touched through you. And it's not because I necessarily believe in you, Andrew, right? But I believe in the power of God. You know? Um, I used to, I met, I met Karen in a, in a bar. That's not a fun story for preachers that they want to tell, right? But she was, she was driving around her cousin and her, her brother and and they came in, and uh, and uh, we were we were in the middle of a foosball tournament. It was boy-girl teams. You had to have one boy and one girl. And my girl partner was an EMT, and they, they paged her. Y'all know this is back in the day. They paged her, and she had to go to work. And we had all we had left was a championship game. I said, hey, man, what am I going to do? Can I play by myself or what? They said, no, you got to get a partner. Who can I get? They said, just get somebody, one girl who didn't sign up in the tournament. I turned around, there's care. This was my this was my pickup line. Hey girl, you wanna play some foosball? Well, we're still married, so it must have been really effective. So it's any young guys, you can borrow that. Hey girl, you wanna play some foosball? This is scary. <laughs> I don't know how to play. You know what I told her? I said, just get up here and keep your men out of my way. I said, you get the middle and you just hold the men up. Whenever I got the ball, you hold the men up. When they got the ball, you put the men down and do like this. She did it and I won the tournament. It's a true story. <laughs> 
You cannot make this stuff up. You say, what's that got to do with anything in this world? I think God can use anything he wants to use to accomplish anything he wants to accomplish. And I'm blown away that a silly foosball game in a pool hall beer joint is how I met the love of my life. Right now, we feel like, man, I can't do what I'm supposed to be doing or what I'm used to doing. i tell you what you do. You start looking for how you can minister to people in a righteous, holy, honest way, sincere way, and you watch God do something amazing with even small things. I never would have thought, all the way back in June of 1997, that the, that the uh, not 97, 93, sorry, Karen, that to turn to a girl and say, hey, girl, you want to play foosball, I meet the love of my life. My wife, my ministry partner, uh, the woman who has borne me two wonderful children, all because of that. I I'm telling you, don't despise small things. What is the church doing here in Acts chapter 8 but just simply being faithful for what they was already told to do? I'm telling you, be faithful. Be faithful in this time. You never know what the backdrop to your come up's going to be. You never know. So last but not least, I just want you to look down at in one verse just to illustrate something. Look down at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down to Jerusalem. From Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a desert place. I love verse 27. It's so simple. It says, He arose and went. Here's what happens. Philip is in Samaria, and now God has him south on the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. Okay? He's, he's moved him. He's transported him. How exactly did he do it? He doesn't really tell us, but it seems like he just moved him along. He just sent him somewhere else. Was it a trailway bus? Was it a donkey? Did he catch a, a Uber? Did God magically move him? I, I don't know, but what I do know, what I do know is he made no argument about this new, about this new uh, difficulty, this new Im 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 you know, imposition on his time, this new imposition on his life. This, to me, is the fruit of being a yielded servant. God's gospel-driven people live on let's go and what's next. And you know what strangles that? Is when we will not surrender our comfort, when we will not surrender our will. That's what strangles it. God's gospel-driven people, they live on what's next, God. Let's go. What's next? Let's go. In Acts chapter 8, the, the life of Philip shows us that when you live on, uh, let's go and what's next, it's no telling what's going to happen. But there's plenty telling what we ought to be doing in the face of it. And if you know the rest of the story, this Ethiopian guy has this scroll and it's from the book of Isaiah and he's reading it. And Philip comes along and answers a question. The guy gets saved. The guy wants to get baptized on the roadside. It's amazing. So what's the message for East Rock Community Church? Our life is interrupted. Be a gospel-driven person and stay focused on the mission that God has given us, no matter what. He has not told us, okay, guys, I understand you're sheltering in place. Your lives are seriously tampered. I understand. So you have a temporary permission to stop living at Baseline Christianity. There's just no provision for that. 
And truth be told, this could be a great time of refining in our lives where we discover some powerful things about our walk with Jesus. And that's what I've been praying for our congregation. Well, this is a short version of a lot of long thoughts. The challenge for me, though, I mean, it's, 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 it's fairly simple. It's fairly simple. We are not facing the only situation that has scattered the church. Believers are called to be faithful gospels no matter what. And God's intention with the gospel is much joy. And God's gospel-driven people live on let's go and what's next. We're living at this place in time where more believers are saying, oh me, than amen. And in the face of our present difficulty, I want to see my people live on let's go and what's next. Even if we have to do this for the rest of the year, even if we're out here with, a, with, with that radio receiver and pouring rain and struggling to get this done, I, I want to see us keep staying committed to gathering however we can. Like we got a closed Facebook page. we got an open parking lot. I don't know who's listening. but You, you know, it, all this stuff seems nutty. Why are we texting you every week? Why are we asking you to pick up Ziploc bags again and again and again? Because we don't want to lose the habit of coming. We don't want to lose the habit of trying. We don't want to give up the habit of, of gathering. This stuff is important. This is our touch point that we're going to stay together. We want to keep singing, keep praying. We want, to keep, we want to keep sharing the Lord's Supper together. This stuff keeps us together. We want to keep doing silly things like recording videos and loading them on Facebook. Keep doing very awkward Zoom meetings. We want to do this stuff. Because if not, we'll just some of us will give in to despair. And we'll just live in, you know, just perpetual pity parties. And some of us will so get off mission that it'll be hard for us to ever come back together again. So, Michaela, kind of like you and I were talking before, you know, all of us on purpose. We're going to keep bugging you about these crazy Ziploc bags. Every week, we're going to bug you. Armor Casey. We're going to keep asking you to come to this parking lot or come and pick up your stuff and meet with us at home. We're going to keep going through all the awkwardness because we need to be reminded that God has called us to be a people together and us to do a mission together and none of us to let up no matter what. If you're with me, two day men. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity to be reminded what the mission is and what it looks like. We humbly ask you to guard and guide our hearts, keep our affections on you, guard and guide our minds, keep our minds set on things above, and Father, teach us a new sort of creativity in our day that allows us to stay on mission even as we're challenged with the issues of life. Stay on mission. Help us, God. Give us people to share with. Give us words to share. Give us hope to pass on. Give us joy to share. Give us peace to share. Help your people share the Son no matter what. In Christ, I pray. Amen.